Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, as ever. And this week, I'm talking to Georgie Toma. And she's all the way over in New Zealand in in the future. It's evening for her and it's morning for me. Um, And she's a Romanian in New Zealand. In fact, in a moment, I'll get you to explain how you've um, your, your journey, because it's quite interesting talking off camera earlier, Georgie. And what we're going to talk about here is um, your research and your business, which is all about well-being. And that originates from some personal experiences. And it's highly, highly practical takeaways for HR professionals. So I'm really looking forward to understanding more. Morning, Georgie. Or afternoon to you. <laughs> Hi, Lucinda. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. I'm a, I'm a fan of the podcast and I'm, I'm so happy and honored to be here um, talking to you and, and to your audience. Well, we're delighted to have you, Georgie. And, and really, it's, it's really great to you know, be branching out over, um, over the, the, the COVID free, as far as I understand it, New Zealand and, and Australia with, uh, <laughs> with envy. So tell us a little bit about, uh, we, we started out, I sort of said, you know, so you, how you've ended up in New Zealand because you're quite well traveled and, and it links very much to your academic career to date, I guess, doesn't it? Yes, my, my academic career took me from Romania to the States where I, I did a master's and then um a brief stint in spain and a longer one in australia where i did my first phd and now here in auckland what i'm where i'm doing my second phd um and i'm also uh working um on starting my own company in the area of well-being so my research has always been uh connected to well-being um and as i mentioned to you earlier um the the reason was well first of all i was interested in um, neuroscience and psychology the human mind has always fascinated me particularly it, it started around um this idea that two different people can have completely different interpretations of the same event and it started from uh, when i was younger i i lived through the revolution in my country and it was interesting to me to see the accounts that different people had of that event um and more than anything um it continued um following the path of mental health because as i as i talked to you earlier i myself had struggled with uh with anxiety most of my life and um particularly when i was working in australia i was working in a management role um and doing my phd full-time so that meant uh that i was working most weekends i would have around 60 hour work weeks 
um, and um, intense uh, KPIs that I had to perform to um, was it a, sales a lot of role, pressure. Did you say? Business development was a sales role, yeah. wasn't it? They're, they're yes, quite, I was working in the demanding. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was in the university environments. I was working um, um, at the University of Sydney, so it was still education, um, which which you know has always been a passion. Uh, but nonetheless, very, uh, very demanding. Um, and I'm sure anyone that works in an organization, either HR or in, in a um, position to manage people understands the demands of supporting them, yeah. uh, particularly now after having gone through a pandemic. Um, so at the time for me, um, what was interesting to see was that I allowed myself to ignore the messages that my body and my brain were sending me with regards to workload, with regards to um, really not creating time for me to recharge and really not understanding what worked for me personally in terms of recharging. So there was a lot of unknown there. Um, and, do you not think we um, needed to? Do, do, do you just kind of think I can just carry on? Well, so you were aware yeah. that you just thought I'll be fine? um both i was aware i was yeah. aware um i was already like i had been a, a meditation practitioner for for many 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 years and i was practicing at that time i just uh thought i could just push myself i just thought i could do it and there were certain elements around um certain beliefs i was holding that i was not aware of that really um did not allow me to get a clear perception of my own reality, of where I was heading to. And so that stress kind of got accumulated, became chronic and ignoring it and ignoring my symptoms of anxiety um, allowed for burnout and depression to develop. And, and, and then it allowed for them to get worse over years. Um, so we're talking here in the span of about four, years i got to a state of uh suicidal depression and i sought help luckily the the organization i was working for had an eap program i sought help and while is very helpful to talk to someone particularly when you are in that situation um i didn't get tools that would help me really change the way my brain was creating the conditions for suffering in my life the way my brain was interpreting elements in my outer reality and the way my brain and body was reacting to stress, which now in hindsight, I, I, I have learned um, to recognize and to change. So I remember one particular morning and this was a completely, uh, this was a changing point in my life. Um, it was waking up in the morning and um, thinking about ending it all. That's the first thought in the day It's just so I can't think of this day ahead. I can't think of starting it. And so I remember saying to myself, OK, this has got to stop like this. This can't go on. You got to make a decision. So you act on that or not. But if it's not, you got to change. So end it all or change it all. But like stop this um, thinking, really. You're and still so, quite resourceful. You're still quite quite resourceful I'm, to actually be that practical in that point when you're having suicidal thoughts and you're depressed. That, that I think has as I'm I'm not sure where it's come from, uh, but 
it's helped me guide me that I'm a very practical human being and and uh probably I have to thank my family for that I've always been very um actually independent so they encouraged me to just really look after myself mm -hmm. sort my own problems mm -hmm. um so I guess that that has helped um and in that moment I got the inspiration and I can't tell you where from is those moments of inspiration really and I said to myself okay I'm gonna give you 90 days and in these 90 days you got to do four things you got to do brain training creativity training uh, meditation and physical exercise. And after those 90 days, you're going to make a decision. And, and you're so, actually saying you're going to make a decision whether to live or die. Is that, is yeah. that what you're inferring? Yeah, that, yeah. that was, that was yeah. what it was. It was like, and then you're going to act on it. Like there was no, no right. excuse anymore. And so I, I remember I had a system of post-its, you know, I put, put a post-it every day on my fridge. It would be like day one, the four items and a tick next to each day two, day 14, day 20. And I started to notice that things were changing in the way I started to perceive reality. In the way I started to understand that I was making myself a victim, that I was giving my power away to external circumstances, that I was overreacting. And the days went past and I started to notice that my behavior changed and my outer circumstances change. So by the end of the 90 days, I was a completely different human being. And, and on the outer, you know, the biggest thing was I quit my job. I was on the pathway to permanent residence in Australia at that stage. And I really wanted to, to, to stay in Australia because I, I love the country. I love the people, the culture, um, the sunny weather and but I realized in that particular role I was not aligned with my purpose I was not living my best self and I realized that I needed to leave and that was that was the end of it so I, I quit my job I I actually went to China for three months to study Tai Chi and then I moved to New Zealand I the the well-being protocol was being created um it, those four elements were the basis of it. But then I went on and I refined the techniques. I, I refined um, the research. And then I actually started doing research on it because I wanted to see if it works for other people for as other well. People. Yeah. And, and we've got the research results. And so we've worked with uh, teachers during COVID-19. Uh, we were incredibly, I guess, blessed to have this you know, the study was set up, COVID-19 hit, and we were able to support people right through as they were going through the crisis. <clears throat> so we measured their levels of stress, burnout, and well-being using standard instruments in psychology research. We measured their levels before the program and after the program. And we saw a 50% reduction in stress, a 40% reduction in burnout, and 45% improvement in well-being. This is while going through a global pandemic, like having us, having been us, you know, we all went to lockdown. We started the program and then we had to go through lockdown, right? Teachers had to start adapting to teaching online. Then we went back, we went back into lockdown. Auckland had more lockdowns than um, New Zealand overall. Um, and so throughout all of that, that happened in 2020, um, we were able to support people and to get those results. So I am absolutely 
grateful and happy um, to have had this opportunity. So um, let me understand those a little yeah. bit more because there's so much stuff that I'd like to just de- de- yes, go absolutely. deep into. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, for the benefit of the listeners, let's go through the four um, the four elements to your post-its, your protocol. So those exercises, meditate. What were the four elements that you did every uh, the, day? Uh, the four elements were brain training, creativity training, meditation, and physical exercise. So what's now brain well- training? Yes, like a Sudoku so- or a crossword or something. Or what? What would brain training be? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it it <laughs> yes, I understand it works like that. Um, <laughs> so in my initial um in my initial um sorry i'm I'm gonna go back uh, just pulling back a little bit um it has to do more with uh, neuroscience and it has to do with um understanding first of all you are rewiring your brain to put it simply so first it's it's a process whereby you identify what beliefs you hold that are not serving you and then you are rewiring your brain so it involves mindset work, but it also involves, for example, um, training your brain to rest, brain rest practices. And so, for example, as I mentioned to you before, I, I had been a meditation practitioner for many, many years, and yet I still got to the point of being so depressed and being so burnt out. So there is there was an understanding around what meditation was and how to really practice it that was missing and how to practice it in a western context not in a monastery but in a context of a human being that uh you know is driven uh wants to be their best self um at work with with in in, and in the personal life as well it has commitments right and how do we practice that so that understanding was missing at that time Mm. and i had to first of all experience for myself certain truths and then supplement with further research to understand how the mechanisms work so now the well-being protocol is in a much um polished way so you it's repeatable you you could tell you you were obviously working out how to do it but if you could obviously you're taking to hr people you can get regular people to understand how to do it so oh yes, the the program is already um, is already polished. So there's uh, there's several stages that we're following, and we're starting by redesigning the way our brain and body responds to stress. That is yeah. absolutely key. And then we are working with developing a set of resources. So let me explain a little bit. One of the key ways in which we work in the well-being protocol is. Um, first and foremost, everything we teach is based in research. So one of the definitions of well-being, one of, um, you know, for a long time, well-being as a term in the research community was highly debatable. Researchers didn't get to an understanding of what is well-being. And so I, um, what we teach in the well-being protocol is a new approach, which I believe is very important um, in the sense that Uh, Dr. Ruth Dodge and her team, they define well-being as the point of balance between the challenges that come our way and the resources we have to meet those challenges. And so it's very important to keep in mind um, three three important aspects to this definition. One is that 
there's an intrinsic um, need for homeostasis in all human beings. So when we talk about concepts such as happiness, for example, we know that there is kind of like a set happiness point. And we know there's studies that show that someone who's won the lottery and someone who's been in a car accident and, and is paralyzed as a result, after a certain amount of time, reach the same level of happiness, the set point, right? So the for same, them, presumably, not as each other necessarily. Is it yourself? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So what it's important to keep in mind is that well-being is the same, right? So we have kind of like a set point mm -hmm. and we tend to gravitate to, towards balance. And this is actually incredibly empowering because that means that no matter what comes our way, our natural tendency is to find that balance, is to find the resources within. So the well-being protocol supplements that natural tendency and gives people very simple, concrete tools to, to build those resources. Does that mean that you can actually yeah. um, and you can increase your level of well-being though? Because yes, it, it, otherwise you could always feel like you're stuck at a certain level. And, and the reason yes. I, I mentioned that is that I want to go back to your earlier point where you said how yeah. different people react differently to the same circumstances. Yeah, which um, and I've spoken about my sister before on this podcast in terms of well-being, and and um, she has. She, she has had struggles with anxiety and um, mm. not that long ago we had a conversation about my my mother who's no longer with us she actually ended up with early onset dementia which may have been related to this but she had no sense of time so she picked us both she was permanently late both of us and we picked up from the train station very very late hours late now I'd be waiting for an hour hour my sister was younger than me I think it was slightly worse for her but my sister internalized that so that lateness, I really, I only realized in the last few years that my sister thought that therefore meant she was unloved or it, it was about her. I thought it was about my mother. I thought it was my mother's mm. problem. Um, and yeah. and I thought we both are having that same circumstance, both the same, you know, DNA, but um, interpreting it in a different way. And then she's not not on to have more sort of anxiety. That said, I've also had experiences where I've when I was just left university with sort of suicidal thoughts and things. And that, that was about circumstances. I changed circumstances and I was, was okay. But I'm interested in that aspect of it in terms of, can you therefore, if, if you are somebody who's got, let's say has more of a tendency to be a bit more anxious, can you yeah. find a way to uh, increase your, you're not, you don't always want to be fighting against your own homeostasis. You'd like to have a, yeah. a, a more relaxed way of being. Yes. Yes, the answer is absolutely yes. And, and this it's is what not this does, about, uh, sorry? Is this what this does, hopefully? Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and it's not about necessarily building towards something. It's rather about removing a block. So let me explain how it works. Okay. Um, in it, and and, and I, I'm, uh, just to use this example, right, with, with your sister, when you examine certain beliefs when you're able to see that certain beliefs such as for example i am not good enough which i can tell you 99 of the people that i've worked with if not a hundred percent of the people that i've worked with hold this belief mm -hmm. at a subconscious level and it is triggered by some event in our earlier years that we have misinterpreted right now we have certain exercises that help people understand or see for the first time 
how this belief actually influences uh, these goggles that they put on. So the way we look at the world, all of us, is not an unmediated perception of reality, not at all. Mm. It is actually, reality is constructed and it is constructed by the brain. And, and uh, brilliant work, for example, from people like Dr. Anil Seth at the University of Sussex at the Center for Cognitive Neuroscience, brilliant work. And so he's showing us how our brain constructs reality, how our brain predicts ourselves into being. Very interesting. So basically the way the brain does this is by utilizing those framework of reference it has established when we were younger. And some of those framework of reference are good. Like we don't wanna touch a hot stove every time to learn that that's dangerous. No, we wanna do it once, we'll learn, right? But other framework of reference such as, I am not good enough because, because we always give an explanation, right? My mom is late because I did yeah. something wrong or there's something wrong with me, right? So when we learn to identify that framework, we also learn to observe how it, kind, it, how it influences our perception of reality. And then the next step is we train our brain to remove that framework. So this is and your brain things, training, is it? Yes, yeah. yes, that is part of that, yes. And, and in the well-being protocol, we talk about the zone of power. So what is the zone of power? This is the zone where we have agency. And this for me was the biggest um, wake-up moment. If, if you remember in, in, my, in my story, one of my biggest realizations was that I was making myself a victim. Right. I was saying, well, I am stressed because my boss is so and so. I am stressed because I have all this work to do and I cannot say no. And who holds the power in that situation? Mm. Well, it's my boss or it's my workload, right? It's all those external things I have no control over. So when you operate from a belief that this external circumstance is what it's causing you stress or what it's causing you to feel unwell, you are giving your power away, period. So the most important work, first and foremost, is to move into your zone of power to reclaim power. Mm -hmm. And the, the question is very simple. What do you have control over? So you can't control outside circumstances. You never will. You are ne never able to control other people, what they say, what they do. You can't. You can't control the weather. So saying, oh, I'm happy when it's sunny and I'm sad when it's rainy mm. is the biggest giveaway of power, right? To an uncontrollable natural phenomena, right? So moving into your zone of power and improving your well being starts by taking 100% responsibility, mm -hmm. right? what is within your control first and foremost is the thoughts that you choose to pursue and here i'm very specific about not saying your thoughts because actually we cannot control our thoughts they are natural phenomena and and scientists are still trying to explain really how our thoughts born Right? What originates thoughts? What originates consciousness? We still don't know that. It's yeah. a mystery, right? But we do know that you can't control them. 
and and I can demonstrate very simply. Do not think of a monkey on a tricycle, right? But what comes to your mind, right? It's the main image of the monkey, right? Yeah, Some we image can't of a monkey. The knot, can we? Exactly. So we can't control our thoughts, and and if anyone has ever tried to stop their thoughts, uh, would know that that's just futile. It leads to more and more thoughts. Can you and train anyone your who thoughts? Suffers. Do you think you is that? Can you train yourself to have more positive thoughts? If you have a tendency of negative thoughts, can you train? Yes, um, and I would I would want to I want to um, just um, a little bit explain this um, statement because I, I think there is a danger of believing that positive thinking is the solution to everything, and there are there's a lot of advice out there that um, I think makes actually contributes to that is actually detrimental because it's not about becoming a Pollyanna and and it's not about lying to yourself oh i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay let's mm -hmm. let's do this affirmation for 20 times a day uh you know like like uh, like in seinfeld serenity now insanity later right it's not it's not that um but what you can do uh what is very helpful which is actually the essence of meditation when it's used as a tool you are able to recognize when a thought arises you can name it oh that's a worry thought and then you let it go and you move your attention mm. towards what is real for you in this moment. Because there are ways in which we cause unnecessary stress and overwhelm for ourselves. And that is because we haven't been taught to practice very basic brain hygiene. So as we go through the course of the day, our brain becomes more and more um, um, stimulated, right? And it's like a toddler. If anyone's had a toddler, when they're very tired, they tend to have tantrums. They tend to cry. They're unconsolable mm -hmm. and they can't rest also. It's very hard for them to fall asleep. Because they're overstimulated, yeah. Exactly. So we need to learn to practice very simple and basic brain hygiene exercises and and one of the most simple ones is you need to take a break during the day where you simply learn to let go of your thoughts and you can call it a meditation practice that's fine you can listen to an audio but understand that it is the purpose of it is brain rest so you engage in the practice of letting your thoughts go, coming back. What is real for me right now? Well, what's real is that I'm at my desk, but I'm taking a break. And it's so pleasant to just feel that I'm breathing and that's all that's required of me in this life. My presence is enough, you know, and I'm breathing perfectly well. So do you really see it, it needs to be a kind of a proper presence meditation or do you see that there are um things like active i kind of think of active relaxation like some sports where you lose yourself in it so you're at least not thinking of work or um if you are really engrossed in a, a podcast or or something you're listening to it is better than being on non-stop zoom all day right it's it's, it's still it's different <laughs> but i don't know whether it's recharging what's your view on that um, I think the answer is yes. And one of the things that we work with 
in the well-being protocol is an awareness that everyone has a personal way of recharging. So you have to discover for yourself. And so we go through different exercises where people try out different things. And you have to discover for yourself what it is that is recharging. So I'll, I can give you some examples. Um, for me, um, I find it incredibly recharging to eat my lunch, focusing only on eating. So I make it a point, even if my lunch break is sometimes 15 minutes, mm -hmm. I make a point of going outside of the office or now that we're working at home, I'm going outside or if I can't, I sit somewhere different from where I work. And all I do in that time, I look at this food and I express gratitude that I have it and I just eat it. So those 15 minutes are incredibly recharging for me. Mm. Then around three o'clock, when, when is a slump, I feel a slump, I feel tired, I do a meditation. And sometimes it's just a five minute meditation. But for me, it's like a power nap. And I've heard from clients that have implemented that lunch thing, that it's incredibly powerful. A sport can be the same, right? Because you know, you're just there in the moment, right? You're not thinking about the future, worrying about the past, you're in the moment. It's, it, and I listening. think it's, if you find it hard to just do the focusing on thing, then actually um, something where you're having to be in the moment like that, it makes, mm. it, makes it easier. Your brain can't really wander off because you're having to focus on whatever it is you're doing. And But your lunch is, is such an interesting one. I must do that because it's so easy to sit mm. there on your phone, isn't it? Yeah. And just yes. not escaping at all. Yes. And please, if, if you do anything, just, yeah, don't do that. Like, just focus on the food. Mm. And, and thinking, you know, this is the time for myself. It is important the words you say to yourself, because sometimes, you know, sometimes you do something like you, you go for a walk, right? And I caught myself the other day and I said, Georgie, you don't practice what you preach. But I, I went for a walk, right? And, and I realized my mind was going off stuff about work or, or, yeah. or stuff that I still had to do when I came back home. And, and I said, hold on. No, 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 no. This is my time for myself. It's a 10 minute walk, but it's my time for myself. I am honoring myself. So one of the important things is that you tell yourself and you do it as well, that you find something to honor yourself every single day. And what do I mean by honor yourself? It could be as, as simple as I'm, uh, today, I'm gonna take this 10 minute walk to enjoy the sun and be with myself, enjoy my presence. Or tonight I am going to, you know, when I go into the shower, there's this shower gel that smells so nice. And I'm just going to take that moment to enjoy that smell and that moment of relaxation. So it doesn't have to be big tech. Self-care doesn't have to be big things. Oh, I'm going to go for a one hour massage because sometimes you don't have the time. That's the reality, right? That's just one of the worst things for me. I could lie there thinking of work. <laughs> thinking <I> yes. <laughs> and I can relate to that. And when it happens to me, I just bring my attention back into my body. I literally move the attention away to that part of the body. And really, that's the secret to coming back to the present moment, right? We hear if anyone has done mindfulness training or meditation training, you've heard this idea of oh, being the present. 
And for many years, I was like, what does that mean? I'm here. Yeah. Hello. Where am I? I'm not, in, you know, yeah, exactly. what does that mean? And so I found that for me, um, what works is coming back into your body. So focusing, what do the clothes feel like on my skin? What sensations am I feeling now in my body? Is there anything, is there any tension somewhere? And then what feels good in my body? And sometimes even a question like, what does my knee feel like? Oh, knee, okay. What feels pleasant? Oh, my, my elbow is happy now. You know what I mean? So it's, the it's like coming back into sensations in the body. And then the question, what is real for me right now? So what is real for me, for example, is that, you know, I just have to write this one email. So I don't have to think about the following email or the meeting that's coming up in 15 minutes. No, now I do one thing. Okay, so it's almost what's the priority? What's the essential thing that needs to be done? Yes, right I mean, now? that's a part of it. That's part of it, prioritizing. But other than that is when you're engaged in a task, give oh, just your focus full on attention that Don't be worrying it. about the one after yes. it. I got you, I got you. Don't, right, going back, I'm conscious. This, yes. I, we've got to keep keep. We'll get back on oh, yes, track yep, because yep, we've yep, been yep. chatting for a while and it, but I'm <laughs> so interested in everything you're talking about. Um, that's just on our four things and you can yep. tell us more about how they work, what, um, they fit into work. The one other one was creativity. What's what, what's that about? So we talked a bit about brain training. Uh, that's mindset work. What was the creative? Is that thinking of different ways of looking at the world or something or what's that? Yes, at the very core of it, creativity is fueled by curiosity, right? And when we approach any kind of situation from a position of i'm curious about it there's a certain openness that naturally happens to us and so one of the key components both to brain training and to kind of mindset rewiring is curiosity and why do i say this because sometimes we identify patterns of thought that don't serve us and then we're like oh georgie how how could you think that come on so we tend to be quite critical of ourselves some people more than others but every human being that i've met has an inner critic mm -hmm. and so one of the things that we do and and it's a very it's a, it's a fun activity if you want to do it is give your inner critic a name so for example my inner critic is the sergeant and I know, I know that the surgeon comes and the surgeon goes like, okay, so you got to do this and this and this and this today. No, no, keep pushing, go for it. So the sergeant, um, interestingly, for a long time has been perceived as having benefits, right? I mean, this, this, uh, I used to think that it helps me perform better, that it helps me achieve my objectives. But the truth is, when you replace that voice with kindness and curiosity, you become much more performant and much more relaxed. And so understanding that there's many ways to look at a situation. So creativity is about that, right? It's not one way. There are many ways. What other positions can I occupy? Right. So Even choosing alternative frames, uh, frames of reference to, to look yeah. at a situation. Even exploring them. You don't even have yeah. to make them as a choice, but just that exercise of exploration. 
you know and uh there's um i used to do this um creativity exercise whereby okay you have a problem let's say uh you know you have a conflict with your boss um and do this exercise um take three famous people and ask yourself the question what would this person do so for example what would charlie chaplin do what would um i don't know i'm, I'm trying to think of of a, of a of a famous person right now and i can't what would prince harry do yeah they're, oh, they're all people that don't really want to choose their brain and for the people that came from my head <laughs> say for someone like mother Teresa or somebody very tranquil Gandhi. Yeah. um yeah but also like having fun so fun is essential and I used to be a person who would be like, okay, give me the ROI on fun. What's, you know, I really, that was my very practical kind of results driven individual. Um, and one of the biggest learnings from my own personal journey and also working with others was that fun and enjoyment are absolutely crucial because you are in a state of flow. You are aligned when you are enjoying yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And if for a long time, and if you've noticed in your life that it, there has been a long time when you did not feel a sense of enjoyment or fun, you need to stop and take stock. What's missing? What's not aligned? Um, that's really crucial. Yeah, gosh, okay. So, uh, but you can't have forced fun. So you've got to do something that, that's fun no, to you. You've got to has, learn to do it. Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's pull this together in terms of what people can do yep. practically, because I think there's been lots of stuff about the practical stuff. And then let's go yep. on to when you're working with HR professionals, yes. practical steps that we can do, because we know that this is something that's that's you know, big in the workplace. Um, in terms of you, you've, provided, you've talked about, do you want to just make, make the links for the person in terms of this as to, to what skills people can take on it that I mean we've talked a bit about controlling what you can control and your four mm. points that were they the origin of your well-being protocol or have you actually explained yes. what the well-being that so that's that's your four steps to your well-being protocol is it that was the origin, that's uh, origin. right now Do you want to translate that into yeah. what it means now yes so um I guess on an individual level what people can do right now to improve their well-being is first and foremost become aware of the thoughts they have and just throughout your day simply for a week pay attention to the thoughts you have if you have an opportunity write them down this is going to give you an insight into the kind of thoughts you have because these thoughts will dictate how you feel and uh, will dictate the level of emotional well-being but also the level of um, stimulation that your brain is under. Mm -hmm. So if you find yourself having racing thoughts, being on hyperdrive for most of the day, take notice of that. The second thing that I would do is implement those breaks during the day, right? We talked about a very simple way, have your lunch, even if it's a 15 minute lunch, mm -hmm. away from stimulation just pay attention to the food express gratitude for it the third thing that you can do is you can start a meditation practice there's many apps there's many ways but very simple way 
is what does the breath feel like in my body? What does it feel like? Now, let's take the final step that is incredibly powerful is how do you feel in moments of silence when you are by yourself? Have you checked in with yourself? Do you enjoy your company? An encounter with silence. This is my challenge for you. Begin an encounter with silence and it will naturally take you towards establishing the balance for you. That's a precursor because you already have within you all the solutions to your challenges. You already have within you the resources. So it's about bringing those up. And silence is a very powerful uh, precursor to that, right? Because it allows you to hear that voice within you that guides you towards balance. Mm -hmm. So on an organizational level, uh, what we've seen from working with our clients and from working with HR specialists and um, well-being um, officers in the workplace we've seen a couple of things following um, COVID. Um, one of, I guess, the positive outcomes of, of this um, crisis have been the fact that there are more and more well-being conversations in the workplace. And that because people faced this tragedy together and were beginning to be more open about it, it kind of brought people together. And so, that is a wonderful opportunity, um, particularly for HR specialists to, to start really a serious conversation with leadership about what represents well-being for employees and what are the priorities after um, COVID-19. And we've seen a lot of surveys coming up now. More recently, a uh, McKinsey Global Institute report that shows that uh, almost 50% of the workforce has burnout symptoms. So it is a reality that there is higher stress and burnout in workplaces. And it has to do with the fact that for many organizations, um, there's uncertainty around roles, there's uncertainty about moving to hybrid workspaces, um, uncertainty about um, really what the plans of the organizations are for the future right and so employees feel more stressed feel more burnt out and they want support in fact employees in that same report they say oh we want our workplace to care more about our well-being so there's an opportunity really for hr people to become the advocates of the people and really have significant um influence on an organization's culture and create really cultures where people feel respected and supported to live better. And so one of my first recommendations is to get the pulse of an organization. So you start a conversation around what is really going on. And so anonymous surveys work, but more than anything, I would recommend focus groups mm -hmm. or even one-to-one -one talks, but it's really, it's easier to, um, to gather more data in a focus group in a faster way. 
And the reason why I'm saying this, use surveys and use focus groups so that you have data that's both quantitative, so numbers and qualitative. Yeah. And in terms of quantitative, I would recommend using um, using some kind of um, psychological standard measurement. So you can say, look, in organization, we have this much stress, we have this much burnout. This is the scale of depression. This is the scale of anxiety. This is what's happening in an organization, right? Could and you, then- if other yep. tools, sorry, on that, if people wanted to do that, do they need to bring a psychologist in to do that? Or are there metrics? Uh, no, no. Like, for example, we offer that service. Um, we set that up um, for ourselves. If they if they want to do it on uh, by themselves, I um, I think they would still need to get informed on how to actually to use some of these, what are the tools. measurements and yeah. how they're scored. And, and yeah. But that's that's not impossible like if someone wants to do that kind of research they can but do you're it saying right? use something that's referenced as a as a benchmark really to measure these yes things. and then you can do it before and after which is what you were saying earlier with those figures that you got yeah. during the pandemic you were exactly using, um, exactly because there's tools. a different conversation when you go to a leadership board and say okay look this is it we've used a valid instrument these are the numbers mm. you got to pay attention yeah because if our employees are stressed and burn out the result is uh, significant in terms of performance, in terms of turnover. Mm. Staff costs are the higher cost for a company. 90% of a company cost goes into staff related um, um, costs such as salary, mm. turnover, in, you know, all the training. So, you know, employee benefits. So there's a clear um, connection with, yeah. uh, with return on investment when people invest in employee well-being so i'd recommend they do that and they they build a business case and there's a lot of reports now increasingly so on what is uh well-being in the workplace and what's the roi and then have a conversation with the leadership that's very yeah. important because we've seen for example in our clients there's different levels of involvement some uh leaders are more open to start having a conversation at organizational level about well-being. They're more open to themselves being vulnerable and some are not. And the reality is um, it's got to start at the leadership level. And the reality is, interestingly, I think a lot of leaders, they want to do well, but they are afraid of starting a conversation about mental health because they don't know what to say. Okay, so I'm going to ask someone, how are you? And you're like, I really want to know how you are. And someone tells you, oh, you know, like I'm I'm going through a divorce or someone in my family is sick or, and then you're like, oh my God, what do I say? They don't know what to do with so, the information, yeah. Yes. And so what we help leaders, so we have specific training for leaders. It's like, but the very simple answer is this, you don't have to give them a solution. You don't have to give them an answer. In fact, it's better if you don't because you're not qualified to do so. And you're not supposed to now get qualified as a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor. No, that's not your job. <clears throat> but all you need to do is listen and, and make that person heard. Yeah, yes, exactly. make that person heard. So they say, I hear you, that must be difficult. Have you thought... <coughs> If you want support, this is the resources that we have. And so one of the things that we help leaders do is prepare. Actually, okay. they, they should have resources for everything. Okay, if a person is dealing with domestic violence, this. If a person is dealing with bereavement, this, this. If a person is like that, that. 
Yeah, so just give them some tools and things to, to yeah. support and don't and don't feel they've got to run away from it. Yeah. So Georgie, I, I think we're going to have to leave it there, but I could definitely <laughs> sit and talk to you indefinitely. We might have to do a follow-up podcast. Um, in terms of what you're doing, do you want to just share? We'll obviously get all of the links. I've got your links here and I'll put them in the show notes. But would you like to share um, a bit about how people can get to what your website is and how people can connect with you? Yes, um, people can connect uh, uh, with me on LinkedIn, Georgie Toma. Um, our website is heartbrainworks.org. So our organization is called Heart and Brain Works. And uh, we are passionate about um, helping people help their people. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. So we um, work with um, organizations to create healthy cultures and cultures where well-being is uh, forefront. So we help leaders better support their team. And then we, uh, we work with um, particularly uh, leaders and HR specialists to understand where does mental well-being fall in the area of workplace health and safety, how to create a strategy around it that works, and how to actually make sure it is embedded in your organization in your organization's culture in a very fun and engaging way. Yeah. And and then we really provide uh, the well-being protocol, which is a series of very simple, practical techniques that work in the area of prevention. You prevent before it escalates. Absolutely. And if we are dealing with cases that are already significant, we help reverse some of the uh, symptoms. And if we're dealing with crisis, then we support, um, obviously, um, the work that's already there by EAP providers and psychologists and um, and counsellors. And I noticed also there's some videos you've got here um, that people can access if they want to look at. Ah, yes, yes. I forgot, uh, I forgot to mention that. Stress yes, we more. are very happy to. We have a, a mini series, like seven short and sweet videos that's called Stress No More. And it's uh, free of access. Uh, people can get a taste um, of the kind of work we do around redesigning the way our brain and body responds to stress. And there's a link there and people can register and watch the videos um, and start off on it. this journey. Fantastic. Georgie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the HR Uprising podcast. Um, your work sounds Thank so you, interesting. And, <laughs> um, and I think it's going to be a really valuable podcast episode for people. So I very pre- much appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Lucinda. Thank you so much. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.